You're listening to a Called Collective Podcast, where we seek to equip the next generation of ministry leaders. To learn more about the Called Collective, visit our website at thecalledcollective.org or check us out on Instagram at The Called Collective. Welcome to the Coffee and Calling podcast with Dan and Griff. Griff, how are we doing this week? Doing pretty good, Dan. Thank you. Um, I am ready to get our final projects done. I'm oh, yes. tired of it. For anybody out there, this is this is coming into finals week here at Indiana Wesleyan University. So, so if you could explain what final week is like in your opinion, Griffin, what would you say? For me, it's a little accelerated. I've got this absurd dream that I want to have my absurd entire dream. finals week free. So all I got to do is just kind of like show up here and that's it. So I've got like a few papers I got to write. Obviously, they're not due for a couple weeks still. Finals yeah. week is technically the rest of this week and we have next week. And then it's the week after that starting, I want to say, on December 13th Yeah, is the start of finals week. So I've got this stupid idea that I want to get it all done in the next two weeks. So we'll see if Ooh. I can actually pull that off. Shoot kind of ambitious. Hey. Shoot for the stars. Land. Wait, shoot for the moon. Land among the stars. I think that's how it's said. You said that. I said that. Oh, my God. <laughs> he's got the halo and then he's going to do this. It's a new thing every week. Well, Griffin, um, can you introduce our guest for today? The esteemed... Emily Kaufman. Although for audio only, you won't be able to see what I'm seeing right now. But Emily, it looks like you're under witness protection because of this like bar, the boom arms covering your eyes. So it looks like, you know, those documentaries where they like blur out the face and the voice is distorted. It kind of looks like that a little bit. Yeah. Um, I just didn't want to be, you know, the paparazzi, you know. <laughs> this is ridiculous. We all I have really to realize, know. like, everybody's got to realize that's listening. Like, Emily, like. We're, we have to lock the doors because, like, she is such, like, a famous person on this campus yeah. that, like, like she is, like, the, like, the person. You think Charlie uh, Alcock's big? No. No. We got Emily Kaufman in the house today. But for anybody that doesn't know you, Emily, can you tell us a little about yourself, what year of college you're in, uh, what your major is, and just some fun facts about you? Yeah, so my name is Emily Kaufman, and I am in the Kern program here at Indiana Wesleyan. And so I graduated last year with my undergrad in worship, and I started my first year of my master's in practical theology this semester. I am from Topeka, Kansas, which is 50 miles west of Kansas City. Nice. And I am a big Kansas City Chiefs fan. It's been an okay season. Not really an okay season, but we're recovering. It's fine. Um, fun fact about myself, last year I applied to be a professional DJ. Um, really still bummed out about that one, but I didn't really get the job. Um, but then my brother told me I could DJ his wedding, but I think I heard him wrong because then I found out I'm not actually DJing his wedding, but now I might be his wedding singer. So oh. Oh. Um, I don't really know what's going on, but I know that things are coming. God's opening windows. So, so she went from DJ Khaled to Adele in like two weeks in our positions of the wedding. I wonder if like, because Kansas is just a flat barren wasteland, if she can like step outside onto her front porch and sing and the people 50 miles away in Kansas city can like hear her. And it's like a serenade. Have you ever tried to do that before? Um, I live in a neighborhood. So <laughs> wow. whenever I think of Kansas, I think of courage, the cowardly dog. 
Oh my god. When his house is just like on like a like a flat, you know, plain nothingness. Is that how it's like? No. No. <laughs> then slander. Just the Kansas slander coming Kansas, out of my mouth right now. Kansas is basically Indiana, just in a different location. Oh. And we just grew I, up I different like it things. there. I think I'd like it there. I like Indiana. Nice. Do you like Indiana? It's okay. Is it colder than Kansas? Yeah. It's really rainy. It doesn't rain yeah. in Kansas. Not in Kansas anymore. Oh my gosh. I was waiting for it to come up. So what is it what is it like growing up in Kansas? I mean like huge huge basketball state. I mean just oh, yeah. sports sports state and everything. Let's go Jayhawks. Let's go, let's go Jayhawks. But like what's it like growing up? Because you're the first person I met that's from Kansas. So what's it like growing up in Kansas? <laughs> Yeah, um, I'll probably have a different perspective just because I'm so close to Kansas City. Mm -hmm. Um, So most of my life, um, I grew up traveling to Kansas City to play sports. My brother and I both played competitive soccer. Um, And so we were in Kansas City about every other weekend um, playing five games a week. So that was most of my life growing up. Um, I know most of my extended family actually grew up on farms, though. So my grandma Mm. actually owns like this Mm. beef company out in the middle of Kansas. They have a lot of cows. They grow sorghum and wheat. Mm. Um, my other grandma lives on a smaller farm, but they grew soybeans and everything. So I got like a little bit of both. You know, I went to the city for a little bit to play sports, went out to my grandparents' house to hang out with cows. So Half yuppie, half like country girl, a little bit mix. Yeah. You grew up in like those two different worlds and you just said something really, is there any, like, this might be a crazy question, but is there a specific cow that you can remember that you used to talk to? Yes. Okay. Oh, here we so go. my mom scarred me in my childhood very early on. Uh-oh. Um, no. Uh-oh. She believed that every child need, needed to experience a cow sucking their thumb. Oh, I thought you were going to say like <sighs> a so cow slaughter. My mom like takes me to this cow. But she doesn't just give the cow my thumb. She gives the cow my whole entire oh my hand. God, God. And so my hand is just in the back of this cow's mouth. But okay, you know how cows eat? Do you know how their digestive system works? They like eat they stomachs. They have like, yeah. So that means they eat grass, chew it, oh, and throw it back it up. up in their mouth, oh, chew it again, oh. swallow it. So I'm just like with my hand in this cow's mouth, like, oh my goodness, I'm just touching like cow vomit. Like that's oh. all this is. Oh. Oh, that's this so is probably bad. a sensation you'd what never you like? forget. Oh my gosh! It was this hand, my right one. <laughs> I would have cut it off. <laughs> oh better to <laughs> better to enter into the kingdom of heaven with one hand. Oh my gosh! Could you than to roam man. around on this earth with one hand? Have you ever that had cows like, had it? Have you ever had like, like trauma from that? Yeah, I would. Like you've ever seen a cow and you're just like hiding your hand? No, I got <laughs> over it. I really, I really like beef. So uh, I, that's I probably where it came from. You kind of like revenge. Emily, we got a pretty crazy question that we like to ask all of our guests on the podcast. Um, so you do not have coffee today. Um, don't. Can you please tell the audience real quick what drink you have? Yes. So for some reason, I'm just kind of a weird person that doesn't really like coffee, Amen. but it's okay. Um, Jesus still loves me. So I have a matcha latte. Yes. For people who don't know what matcha is. Matcha is a type of tea. Most tea, they take a leaf and like shred it and put it in a bag. Matcha, they take a leaf and they pound it into like this a mortar powder. And, pestle. and it's like super bright green. And then it makes your drink super bright green. Mm. So then I get to tell myself, Emily, you have something green today. Healthy. So this you can have healthy. as much mac and cheese as you want. So. <laughs> 
yeah, matcha, matcha is an incredible drink, and I'm not gonna lie to you. That was the first time that I've ever figured out that it doesn't mean it's actually made from green stuff. I always thought it was just like a vegetable kind of like. I thought it was healthy to drink. Is it? Is it healthy to drink matcha? I mean, I think there's some health benefits, but I don't think it's like they took a piece of spinach and put it in a drink and you're now having a nice spinach smoothie. I just thought it was a really good tasting like leaf type of like tea. Couldn't tell you. I've never had it. Goodness. Well, well, if you're going to have matcha and you're going to have it with anybody in the Bible except for Jesus, who are you having that nice matcha latte with? That's a good question. Um, I think it'd be really cool to have a matcha latte with Hagar. Mm. Um, she is someone I really learned about a lot last year and just understanding um, more of her story, everything she went through, um, and just how like she continually found God um, when she had nothing. Like she wanted to go die. And so she went out into the wilderness and just like found God there and God restored her. And just, I think it'd be so cool to listen to her experiences about that. That's a good one. Yeah. We've never heard that one. Like, was it, I know you just kind of gave some like little specifics and everything, but if there'd be like one of those things you want to talk about like the most and like something that I guess like within that, like intrigues you, maybe something that you read that really stuck out to you. What would that have been? Yeah, so Hagar's story is one where she was basically abused, um, but she was a slave. And so yeah. she had to go back to work after being abused. And I think just learning, like, how can we give care to people who have been hurt? Like, no matter if it was um, a wound like a scrape or a wound like, um, you know, completely ripping off layers of your skin, like, a spectrum of wounds, no matter where you are in that spectrum, how can we best care, give care to others? I think that was that one of the, is that the first woman we've had? No, we had Phoebe. To? We had Phoebe. That is really cool. And I, I just wonder like, almost like of a response of like, <sighs> there seems like to be this common pattern where there's just a lot of like, a lot of hurt in the church is being exposed. I'm going to say it's always been there. So I think um, you can just see it that people, there are sometimes people that do evil things and sometimes they're within the church building. And I think that has been for a long time, but especially in the culture we have within social media, it just, it gets exposed. And sometimes as ministers, oh man, I, how hard is it to go back and keep doing like almost like your job and doing your ministry or anything that you've been given. Um, and it's of course not at the same level. The job she had was not probably one that she decided to have. Um, but for us, I mean, what would be kind of like your take on like, how do we kind of like still serve the Lord, even though we're in a circumstance that's been really hurtful to us or almost like it's a, it's a suffering time, but we still need to do the work of the Lord in our circumstance. Yeah, that's definitely a very difficult situation to be in. Um, and I think we can go back to Hagar's story again. She is the first woman in the Bible and the first person in the Bible to give God a name. And the name she gives him is El Roi, which means the God who sees me. Mm. And I wonder as she returns to her life as a slave, if she is returning with confidence, knowing that maybe her master doesn't see her 
but God does. And God knows the hurt that she has faced. God is working in that hurt and bringing healing. And at some point she will have justice. I think uh, you don't have to necessarily stay in the place where Mm -hmm. like harm is being done to you. I Mm -hmm. think that's kind of a old way of thinking about things to a degree. Um, I think you can do ministry wherever you are in whatever context you're in, whatever job you're working in. Um, I think if you're truly facing abuse and you're truly under the hand of like a tyrannical leader, Mm -hmm. if you don't have any option to leave and go honor God with your work with a leader who is also honoring God and honoring you at the same time, then I think you... I think you read First Corinthians seven. Paul's telling, um, like, he's he's, tell, he's talking to slaves who have become Christian. If you are able to acquire your freedom, acquire your freedom. Mm-hmm. But if not, it's like do everything, like live according to the way you've been called. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, do everything as if you're doing it for the Lord, and instead, like. The, the abusive leader might be the one who assigns you your task, but you're completing that task to the honor of Christ, not to the honor of um, someone who might be abusive towards you in a position of leadership. Mm-hmm. So first of all, I guess, leave if that option is available to you. Mm-hmm. Um, but then secondly, like take comfort that God is a God who sees, but also that when you work as if you're working for the Lord, it might not necessarily make the process of the work any easier, but it'll make the end result, uh, I guess, easier to see. Yeah. Yeah. You, you have a finish line in sight when you know who you're working for and whose honor you're working for, mm-hmm. um, especially if that one you're working for is the loving Jesus Christ. Come on. So, Yeah. Something we so need right now. And I just see it as like this beautiful way of just <sighs> reminding yourself of like your first love because it is heartbreaking when you have leadership or people that are leading you and you're doing a job and you don't feel like they really care for you and they don't really see you. And what was that name that she gave God again? Elroe. El I might Roe. be pronouncing it wrong. But. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, you probably pronounce it. I, I, don't, I don't speak Hebrew. <laughs> I don't speak Hebrew. Um, El Rohi, the guy that sees me. I, yeah, I just love that. Is that so many, I think ministers, uh, people in different vocations, a lot of people need to hear that right now in such a time as this, is that no matter what we're going through, I think almost repeating that over and over again, um, El Rohi is just over and over again, is that, I serve a God that sees me and knows me. And for anybody listening, I mean, if you're going through that, if you're going through a, you're in a hurt place or the church has hurt you in any way or someone within the church or um, just somebody in your life and everything, um, as a person that's filled with the Holy Spirit and lives and has been gifted righteousness, uh, know that God sees you and that he has a plan for you. And like Griffin said, your finish line is this eternal kingdom 
That is so amazing. And for now, though, um, yeah, just come, come to the Lord, and He sees you. And I hope that you know that if anybody's listening and just needs to know, does God even see me? Well, it's a name that He bears. So, well, Griffin, can you ask the the big question, question, the big question of the day? So, Emily, tell us about your call to ministry and um, kind of how that call has evolved for you from your original call to where you are now and how God has been speaking to you through that time. Yeah. So, grew up in Kansas, um, grew up in a Wesleyan church back home. Um, and when I was 15, I went to what was called a follow conference, and that's a national youth conference for Wesleyan students, um, and it was being held in Indianapolis, Indiana. And so that was December of 2015. But if you go back to August of that year, um, I entered high school my sophomore year wanting to be a teacher, really wanted to teach um, English, um, thought I was going to be really good at it. And I remember the first week of school, we're doing this project, and it was like, you know, make a presentation outlining the next four years of your life. Where are you going to go to school? Like, what job are you going to get? You know, what degree do you want? And I remember having all of this set up and this thought just kind of occurs to me and it's saying, you know, have I ever considered if this is what God wants me to do? And I sat there and I was like, man, that's a good question. But then I was also like, but my plan makes sense. So I think that's what God wants me to do. But I'll just, I'll just go ahead and ask just in case I'm wrong. And so I went ahead and asked, and that was in August. And by the time December rolls around, um, I had completely lost all interest in teaching. You honestly could not pay me enough money to now be a public school teacher. Um, my dad's a public school teacher, and bless his heart, he does so amazing. But I just do not have the strength for that. We are built differently. Any grades in particular that make it impossible for you, or is it just like in general, like kids? I think it's more the fact that I'd be teaching the same thing every year. So it's just like like, repeat, nothing new. I wouldn't be able to learn. Every September, we're talking about Romeo and Juliet, which is good. I like Romeo and Juliet. Dang. Sorry. That was off track. I just thought about that. You have to teach the same thing every year. I think I'd kind of like it. You would really know one subject. So <laughs> well, I already rewatch and reread stuff. I'm not like, like I gotta be in a really good mood to watch something new. So I feel like, like Pride and Prejudice. I think I've read Pride and Prejudice like five times, just for fun. Meanwhile, I'm on my fifth time watching The Office. So maybe I could teach a class about that. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I keep on going, Emily. So now we're at December of my sophomore year. And I feel purposeless. I'm like, if I'm not a teacher, then what am I going to be? I need to make all these decisions soon. Um, I need to figure out if I want to apply for any type of athletic team in college. Um, Just really weighed down. Didn't really have a sense of identity. And I knew that I'd be going to the follow conference later that month. And so I just started praying and asking that God would move in a miraculous way and that God would speak. And I remember going to Indianapolis um, and we get to the convention center and I was just overwhelmed by the presence of the spirit. And 
the presence of the spirit, being able to tangibly feel the spirit was not something that I had ever experienced before. And so immediately at the start of the conference, I knew that God was up to something. Mm. Um, About the last night of that conference, um, that feeling had only intensified. And finally they did an altar call. um, And they said, hey, some of you in this room are called to ministry and we want you um, to go talk about this. We want you to come up here. We can pray over you and commission you. And we want you to talk about it with your youth pastor. The funny thing was I was sitting next to my older brother, Jared, and Jared had already vocalized that he was called to ministry. And so I had like that weird, like feeling when like you're called on and you don't know what the answer is. Um, But I didn't know that was because I was called to ministry or if because my brother was called to ministry and I was sitting next to him. So I just kind of sat there. Um, And if I'm being honest, that was the first time I ever heard the word ministry Mm. and having grown up in a church who I, I love my church back home, but the only female pastors I saw growing up were part-time children's workers. I didn't really know if I was allowed to be in ministry. And so I kind of just sat there in this room and we went back to small group time. And finally I just said, Hey, I think I might be called to worship ministry. And I kind of came to this conclusion because I had grown up playing instruments. My dad's a music teacher. So I had grown up, I knew how to play the flute and piano and I sang a bit. Um, And I didn't really see any other gifts or talents I had that could be used by the church. And so I vocalized this and it felt affirmed. It felt like what God was calling me to do. And so I said, all right, like I'm called to worship ministry. I'm going to figure this thing out with God. And that ultimately led me to coming to IWU. Um, There wasn't really another school I applied to. I was really attracted to the Kern program, which is the three plus two undergrad and master's program here Mm -hmm. at Nina Wesleyan. And I started taking my worship classes and I started realizing that I was a lot different than most of the students I was in class with, not in a bad way, just um, my priorities were different. The experiences I wanted in a church were different. Um, And it started to really affect my self-esteem. I think Um, it was hard seeing other students being successful in things I wasn't successful at. And it was also difficult to sometimes have different ideas than other people when they're not shared. But I love the content that I learned in these classes, but I kept feeling like I didn't fit. And it wasn't until last year when I started taking my preaching classes that a professor here named Dave Ward, Mm -hmm. um, just after like our first assignment, he just called me out and said, Emily, you're called to preach. Mm -hmm. And I was like, That's cool. I mean, I'm really good at public speaking, but I'm probably not called to preach. I'm a worship major. Um, But what I forgot until Dave said that was that that had been a calling that was affirmed the past few summers that I've worked with youth ministry. Um, I had been given the opportunities this past summer and the summer before to um, intern at a local church in my town, and I was able to preach for them and There were so many times where I just felt defeated, but um, I was greatly encouraged afterward and was told by other people that I was called to preach. Mm. And so I continued taking this class with Dave Ward. Um, This just kept coming up from my practicum supervisor, Ethan Lunder, at College Wesleyan Church, um, that I'm called to preach. And that is where I'm at now, um, with a calling to preach. And I can firmly say that that is the scariest thing in my life. Mm -hmm. 
Um, it is one thing to be a female who feels called to worship ministry. It is a completely different thing to be a female who is called to preach mm-hmm. um, and who has to recognize that that usually comes from being a lead pastor. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that is my call. Mm. That's cool. Were, were we all in the same HOM class, HOM 1? I think I was in yeah. your HOM 1 class. At least for one semester, I think. Yes. Yes, we were all in HOM 1 together. Yes, we were. And then we were in the same HOM 2. Me and you were in the same, but she was not. You were in the other HOM 2. Sorry. We didn't hear we some good out. preaching in the HOM 2. We missed out. That. <laughs> That's a cool story. Like, I think it's cool how we so quickly forget, like, the affirmations that God's placed in our lives through through um through his people um and like yeah it's like a scary situation i can't completely um associate with like how you would be feeling with that call to preach because it's a completely different scenario as you said um even in a even in a denominations who are like affirming of women in ministry you don't see a lot of head pastors who are women um and i can't imagine it's like a kind of like a you know like a trailblazer you know it's kind of setting a new standard that's that's exciting i'm excited to see what you do so so for you like what are um and if you want if you if you didn't want to talk about this this would be okay but what are some of kind of those fears as you're walking into that more specifically like what are some of the broader fears there Yeah, um, personally, it's gender, like, let's not consider my gender in this at all. Yeah. Personally, am I someone that can effectively lead a church? Mm -hmm. And maybe it's because I'm young and I'm still in grad school and I've never been fully employed by a church. Yeah, that's probably part of it. um, (laughs) I feel like (laughs) that's a big part of it. I feel like that's a small little bit. (laughs) I do not feel equipped to lead a church. Mm. Secondly... Um, if we put gender back in the picture, yes, the Wesleyan church is egalitarian. We fully support women. That's the word I was looking um, but having visited some local churches over the past few months, um, I've encountered a lot of biases and it's more of a problem, I think, within our congregations than it is within our doctrine. We can say all the things we want in our doctrine, um, but I've stepped into a few churches and it's apparent that there are certain things that I'm welcome to do. There are certain things that I would not be as welcome to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think my final fear is just a fear of failure. Like mm-hmm. what if I mess this up for other women? Like mm-hmm. what if I say something wrong? And because of that, um, we continue to push back and develop more biases against women. Mm-hmm. Do you see uh Cause I know I see it still like in some Wesleyan churches, like you see a lot of uh, women leaders or directors in positions. Um, not quite so many like youth pastors who are women or children's pastors. A lot of the time I see leader or director, even though the person might have an undergraduate degree in Christian ministries, it's just, it's kind of aggravating, but um I don't know. I just, what came to my mind was Moses. Uh, when you, like you said, like you're afraid of speaking of fa- and, and messing something up while you're speaking, you know, Moses is like, I'm not a good speaker. Like 
you know, let Aaron do this. And God's like, no, yeah. you know, you're going to be the one that gives my law and brings my word to my people. Um, and like that fear is definitely something I think we all feel, especially us three at this table specifically. Um, we haven't been full, full-time employees at a church yet. And there's a lot of good things we learn here. But what did, I think uh, Charlie said something that the church is like the most, you'll, you'll receive the best education in your life working in a church. Mm-hmm. And I was just talking to another person, our current cohort, Michael Yost, and he was, uh, we were both just agreeing like, man, I'm ready to just like get out into residency and just finally like every single day like do ministry stuff. It's exciting. It's also scary. And you're deaf and you know that you're not the only one be afraid and like scared of failure. Mm-hmm. I think we all are to a degree or most of us are. Obviously there's different stakes and you mentioned you, you, you explained those stakes that they're, they're, they're different for you, but yeah, just know like you're not alone in like fear. And like, that's one of the reasons we have the current cohort is to almost be afraid together. (laughs) I don't know. That's how I feel sometimes is like, it's good to know that I'm like not alone and being scared out of Mm -hmm. my mind sometimes. Mm -hmm. Um, and there's, you're going to be constantly surrounded, whether it's by people in your local congregation or members of the current cohort who are hundreds of miles away, people who are going to affirm you and pick you up and speak life into you and encourage you whenever you need it. Um, at the drop of a dime, you just, guys, I'm feeling discouraged. And, and you know that, you know that you have access to such a great circle of friends who are here to pick you up when you're down. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, that's something I'm really, really happy for, um, especially this past year. Yeah. But. Dude, I feel that 100%. I was just talking to a friend the other day and we were talking about first Corinthians and within the, the chapter and verse I'm blanking on right now, but I just remember this so clear. I remember this a few years ago when reading this and it was so beautiful. And I think it's a lot for the circumstances that we face as a cohort, but just in general, I think as students as a university um, is that as we need to suffer together so then we can be comforted together for Christ has comforted, comforted us that as we share in our sufferings, we will also share in the comfort that the Lord mm-hmm. gives us. And I think a lot of times we base good friendships and good community based off of good comfort. Is that if the community is comfortable, if the community is good, but then what if we saw actual like, listen, guys, like we're going through a lot and we're scared and everything. And we're going through certain sufferings that the enemy's attacking us with these doubts and these fears and these worries. But what if that's actually a sign of unity? that we're coming together and we're actually unified as a group of people that the enemy is trying to attack us all in this same way because he doesn't want to see us come together because when we do come together in our suffering, we are then comforted. And I like uh, one thing that you were saying, Emily, and this is what I want to ask you is that where do you think that fear almost comes that like, if I make a mistake, I'm going to sink the whole ship. Like, it's not like, like there's one little bump and like everything goes south. But for us, and I feel this too, and I'm sure Griffin has felt this too also, 
is that what it, how, what is your opinion on like why you know sometimes we feel like man if I ruin it I'm gonna ruin it for a whole group of people yeah, or like, why do that. you why shoulder such a heavy burden like mm-hmm. why burden yourself with so much responsibility mm-hmm. I think the answer to that question is really um, that that burden is it it feels like a truth but it really is a lie that a lot of women face um in our current cohort we read a book called empowering female leaders last year and i remember this was mentioned that women in the workplace feel like their failure will um ultimately make it harder for other women to have the same job or to be as successful as they are um and i think it's just something that women face when they're not um completely welcome in an area. We don't want to mess anything up. I think personally, um, one of the, um, maybe not one of the lessons, but one of the um, values I grew up with was I needed to achieve at everything. And so personally, um, just a fear of failure in anything um, is pretty hard. Um, And it's why I'm an Enneagram type nine. Mm -hmm. I avoid conflict and oftentimes the best way for me to avoid conflict is to get good grades, to show up on time, and to do a good job. Well, do you – is there any, like, sort of, like, competitive spirit beneath that? Like, not necessarily confrontational, but a bit of, comp- like, competition, kind of proving yourself capable, yes, but is there a bit of that competition to it, too? Yeah, um, and I think the way I grew up, is also um, pretty determining of that. Um, my mom is a really big trailblazer in my life. Um, she is a lobbyist, which means she works at the capital of Kansas. Um, she will listen to what's going on in the House of Representatives and will then advocate for um, members around the state for the company that she works for and trying to get um, the like new laws passed to help them. Mm-hmm. Um, with my mom's job in like the state of Kansas is very conservative. Um, So there are not a lot of women in this field. My mom has had to work with both sides of political parties, ranging from crazy to crazy. (laughs) And um, across all of it, she is so well-liked by everyone when a lot of people aren't. And for my mom to um, represent such a minority, um, at her previous job, she got paid in the bottom 10% of CEOs for her job. Wow. So... Compared, compared to men, men were getting paid more than her. And so um, I just grew up witnessing my mom just trailblaze. And I think sometimes it's really easy to compare myself in the same field of saying, like, look, like there are not a lot of women in this field. Like I need to do the same thing as her. And to just have a simple job at a simple church would not be enough. I have to be doing everything and making sure that everyone has an opportunity. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's such a Man, it, it breaks my heart as you say that for the aspect of, like, I've never had the fear, though, that, like, if I mess up, I've only thought of, like, you know, it's like, oh, man, people are going to see the ministry at the church bad. Or if I'm, like, as a leader, or, like, if I mess up, they might see bad on my team. But I've never thought, you know, if I do bad, it's going to represent men at all. What are some steps you think that we need to take forward as a church that, yeah, we have not done a good job with taking care of? women in ministry, but in general, and that everybody wants to write down a doctrine. But what are the steps you think we need to take to actually be like, no, we mean this. We really do. I think one of the easiest things we can do is just by showing women in our church, Mm. um, whether that's 
showing the people who are working on staff that are women, mm-hmm. not tokenizing them, but just having them around. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been looking at churches to interview at, and I can't tell you how many websites I've popped on, and there's not a single photo of a woman on there. Mm-hmm. And for some people, that may not really affect them, but as someone who wants to work in a culture where they feel fully welcomed and a sense of belonging, not really seeing representation of women is a really big sign that says don't go here Mm -hmm. and so just starting with the way we advertise are there both genders um yeah when we have people come up on stage it's always the man giving the announcements or are we giving authority to women in the church are we giving opportunities to women um and yeah not tokenizing like don't tokenize a woman don't tokenize anybody no one wants to be a token people want to be valued Mm -hmm. um making space for genuine hospitality and genuine spaces for others to lead yeah it's true and i think like if you you'll limit i mean you'll limit your ministry if i'm in a i want to be a youth pastor when i live here i've talked about that before but i think about who i'm going to bring on to my leadership some some girls ain't going to talk to you the way they'll talk to another one literally like um i had this cool opportunity over the summer i traveled with three women um and two of them were ministry majors um hallie and reagan uh uh two people that have been on this podcast before Um, And one thing I made clear to them is like, I'm going to treat you as if you're one of my sisters. But if there are things that sisters only need to talk to sisters about, then I'm okay with that and everything. Because I understand where that comes from. And I understand that there's certain limits I have to ministering to women because I am a man. And I think when we limit our ministries, not having leaders, that honestly within the church is over 50% of our congregation, which from statistic from the church are women. We need to have that representation. I want my future students that are girls to know that that is an avenue they can go through. And that comes through what you're saying is not tokenizing, but, but just being like, we're going to give these opportunities, not just because they are women, but we know that they recognizing the God given ability they have to um, associate and almost in a way, help those in the congregation feel seen because they are the same in a certain way through what their gender is. And I just think that's really powerful what you're saying. And like, just to reiterate, we're not tokenizing, but we're celebrating something that God is using within them that they were actually born with that they can use to help minister to a certain group of people. My thing is like, if it walks like a duck, talks like a duck, call it a duck. If a woman is in the church doing things that pastors do, call her a pastor. Yeah. Like, quit calling them directors. Quit calling them leaders. If they're qualified and they are in a position of leadership, call them a pastor, please. Mm-hmm. It's so weird. It, it it honestly is just so baffling to me. Like, it feels like it's just holding on. Like, the, uh, if they're doing the same thing, the title, like, and I'm going to say this, it I'm saying they should be called pastors. Like, it, it, like it's not important whether they're not a pastor if they're doing the same thing pastors are doing. Just call them pastors because they're already fulfilling that role. I don't. It's so weird to me. Mm-hmm. It feels like it's trying to keep something exclusive, which isn't. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That is. Now there's. I know we could go on. I've had a conversation with you. There's so many avenues. I wish we had more time to go down that avenue. So, um, but I want to go back to one thing because this is something you brought up. And when you felt you're like, I want to be a teacher, 
and I want to be a youth pastor. There's two things you said within that that I think is really good. I felt like that's what I needed to do. And you even said, before even consulting God, like, I just, God, this seems like a smart thing to do. So this is obviously what you want me to do and everything. And you're like, from what you were saying, what is the difference between distinguishing what feels right to do and what God actually wants you to do? It's so hard. Like I, <laughs> the past few weeks, I have been struggling with that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think one of the things that, one of the tools I've learned um, from Mandy Drury, who's a professor here, is to just hold out your hands in like an open posture and to just leave it there for a mm-hmm. minute. I think a lot of times when we think God is calling us to do something, we take it and we quench it and we grapple it like we're holding the railing of a and we're on a roller coaster and we're like white knuckling and this is mine. we're like, <laughs> I'm not letting go. But what if God is calling you to let go for something better? Yeah. In my mm-hmm. case, God was calling me to let go of worship. And that was really hard. Like I went through that same loss of identity again, but God is giving me something greater. He's shown me different gifts. And so even as I'm trying to discern the things that God is calling me to do now with interviewing with churches, um, I'm holding it out in my hands. Last week, I quenched onto something and made a choice that I regret. And I immediately felt like I was disobedient and like I did something wrong. And I think um, I can internally feel it. I'm someone that internally feels conflict. And so I immediately noticed it in my stomach that, oh, no, I did something wrong. And I was on the road. I was like, I can't turn around. I got to keep going. And so um, I just said, God. I'm so sorry. I'm giving this back to you. And I just held out my hands and I just said, all right, I'm leaving this here. This is what I think you're saying. And I'm just going to pause for a little bit and make sure and wait for confirmation from you. Yeah. And just, I mean, I say it like this. I had a friend, his name's Ryan Slack. Um, he is now at Cornerstone University for like sports management, but he was a great brother in Christ while he was here at Indiana Wesley and he once looked at me straight in the face and I was like stressing with him about the same stuff. I'm like, dude, I, I want to do this, but I wanted this. And he said, Daniel, do you not realize all you can do is walk in the peace that the Lord gives you. And in the words of Dave Smith, that doesn't mean peace is the absence of feeling conflict or feeling that wrestling, but peace is this steadiness that God gives us a peace that we don't, that is greater than any of the world gives us that we know that Lord, if I hand this to you and I just walk in step with what you want me to do for right now, I know that I will be walking that narrow path. And it's so hard for us because like like you said, it's like, what? how do I do it? And like you said, it's just about opening your arms and saying, God, this is where I'm at. This is where you've been leading me. Um, let me not just think so far in the future, but let me just take one step at a time and walk in that peace that the Lord has given me. A peace that this world could never give. Surpasses all understanding. <laughs> Set that in. Now, just as we kind of wind down here, I hate that we kind of have to cut our discussion short, but uh, Emily, we just want to affirm the things that we see God doing in your life. Um, affirm the gifts that we see. Uh, so I'll just I'll start here real quick. I think it's funny that you wanted to be a teacher originally, um, and then you felt like God was calling you away from teaching to do worship. And now you're feeling a call to preaching, which is, in, in a way, teaching. <laughs> um, so I think it's cool that that's what you wanted at first, and now it's lining up with what God wants for you. Um, 
and your knowledge of scripture and your the, the grace you speak with um, just in the classes that we've had together. Um, you speak truth in a way that is gracious, even when it's hard to hear. Um, and I think that is a skill and a gift that will take you far and will serve the church well mm-hmm. in your ministry. Yeah. The one thing I really want to affirm you on, Emily, is that anytime I've heard you preach or any times I've seen you give a lesson or just even in our our cohort meetings, which is our meetings that we get together as a current group and we just discuss things. Um, I don't think, I don't think that you're not only just going to represent women that want to go into lead ministry well, but just ministers in general, like you're a good minister. I wouldn't say like, you're like a good woman minister or all that. Like you're just a good minister, Emily. And I'll just say that. Um, and I know that there's so many different things and there's so many like fears that go on with that. Um, and just as you're walking and you're stepping into that and everything, but I truly believe that the Lord has called you. And even if there are groups of people in the congregation or people within the church or just people in general that come against you just because you're a woman or anything, I believe that the ministry you're going to do to people that see you and also people that are listening to what the Lord is speaking through you is going to matter so much more than all that criticism, all that, that almost what I would say white noise that needs to be drowned out in comparison to the fact that there are people that are going to be there that need to hear what you're going to say. Um, and just generally as a person, you, you, even from what we are talking about, like you care so deeply for the people that are unseen. This goes back to even what you were talking about with Hagar. And what I know for you as a person is like you care about people that are unseen. And I think because of that, no matter what fear there might come up, that is your heart posture. And I believe that will always win the battles because the Lord has put that in your heart. And um, the last thing, um, well, we, we always end with asking you, how can we pray for you? But... Um, just the last personal question for you, I guess, is if you could get advice to a, a student right now that was in that position you were in going to follow or somebody that's just wrestling with their call into ministry, those early stages of figuring it all out, what would be your best piece of advice to them as they're wrestling with that? Trust that God's going to speak to you mm-hmm. and trust that when he does, it's going to be magnificent. Mm-hmm. Um, God does not have a voice of confusion. God has a voice of affirmation, assurance, maybe sometimes rebuke, uh, maybe sometimes condemnation, but it's always truth and it's always filled with grace and it's always filled with love. Trust that God is going to use that voice to speak to you. Mm. Facts. Finally, Emily, how can we be praying for you? Yeah, um, just praying for a few decisions I have to make. Um Still trying to figure things out of what God has next for me, um, what it looks like to practically have a calling um, and leaving school. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Awesome. Dan, could you close us out in prayer? Always. Lord, thank you so much for this episode. God, to have Emily on this podcast, Lord. Lord, thank you for her testimony, her calling, Lord bringing her from where I thought I was going to be doing this. I thought I was going to be doing this. 
But Lord, you have something else for me. And I pray that how she holds that so loosely that going forward, she does the same. Because she might not even do lead ministry or preaching ministry for the rest of her life. There might be another ministry that comes up later. So, Lord, I just pray the prayer that even for all of us, that we never put you in a box. That, Lord, whatever you call us to do for a time as this, that we do it with our whole heart. But we also, like we said, we hold it loosely. And as she makes these big decisions, I pray that she also doesn't feel that pressure that this one decision is going to define her path in ministry. That this one decision is going to define the work that you do. But, Lord, I know that we're... Um, whatever she may decide with these decisions that, God, you, you can work through her. So, Lord, may she hold whatever this is. May she again put her hands out and say, God, here this is. I want to do what you want me to do. May, may your word be a lamp beneath my feet. May that path, even if it's just one step, Lord, may she be clear on what that one step may be for her. Lord, again, thank you so much for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, we uh, want to thank the band Caledonia for all the music that you've heard on today's episode. You can find them at Official Caledonia on Instagram, and you can also find a link to their band camp down in the link below uh, in the show notes. And we also want to thank the School of Theology and Ministry at Indiana Wesleyan University here in Marion, Indiana, for sponsoring this in all called collective podcasts. Go Wildcats. Go Cats. Thanks, Emily. Thanks, guys. All right, everybody. We will see you next week. Seasons
Like snow. 